Good morning. You know, I look around and um, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for um, all the different parts of the body. I just, um, I sit here and I listen to our worship team this morning and I know half of them are on vacation and, and out and, and yet they still, they, they, they do such a wonderful job. Um, I, I look around at, if y'all go back and look at them Sunday school classes and everything you see out here and out there, I mean they have worked so hard just to minister to, to the kids, to the adults, to the youth, to everybody that's going to be a part of this VBS. And, you know, I'm just thankful because so many times in a church, so much focus gets put on the pastor and the song leader that, that we forget that this is a body. And, and when each part does its share, growth occurs. And so as a pastor, I sit up here today in awe and I look around and I'm, I'm just, I'm thankful. I'm thankful to each and every one of you. And I pray that, um, I pray that you know that you're needed here. And you are wanted here. And, um, and I thank you for the ministry that, that, that you do for the glory of God. And that's, that's what every bit of this is about. But, uh, and we have some fun as we do it. I hope y'all saw that this morning. I hope nobody, I, I, would, I don't think it is, but you know, I hope nobody would ever enter in their mind that we're just trying to get money. You know, it, it has nothing to do with that. It's all about giving this VBS a, a mission to support, a good cause that, you know, and for those of you that don't know, we actually support as a church the Life Choice Pregnancy Center on a monthly basis. Uh, we, we yoke up with partners. I thank God for our mission team here that gets together and, and they figure out uh, where God is leading us to, um, to support missions in our community, to support missions overseas. And, and again, there are so many parts in this body that I'm just so thankful for that when I come in on a morning like this and I look around, I can't help but stand in awe and just thank God for, for each and every one of you. And I hope you know I mean that from the bottom of my heart this morning. I'm not just saying that to, to build you up. I, I love you and I'm thankful for each and every one of you. We're going to be in Ezra chapter... Uh, oh, one more thing. Um, next year, y'all order Ken a little bit bigger suit, all right? I'm <laughs> just kidding, brother. <laughs> That's our deacon of the month, by the way. <laughs> We ask a lot of our deacons around here. We're going to be in Ezra um, this morning. Ezra, we're going to uh, be picking up in the same outline we've been covering for the last two weeks. This will be week three or part three, if you will, um, in what we're uh, studying here in the book of Ezra. And I would like to um, remind you that this is a... A story, or it's not fiction, so I don't want to call it a story. It is a historical event that the Holy Spirit saw fit to, to give you in your Bibles today so that for one reason that we can look back and we can see a picture of what God has always planned to do to reconcile us back to Him to call us out of sin and darkness, to bring us into a place to where we dwell with Him, to where we worship Him, to where we learn His ways, and to where we follow Him. And so ultimately you see this repetition of stories throughout the Old Testament. And this is another one of those stories that we have today. Basically, in the book of Ezra we have the, um, the Jewish exiles. They've been exiled because of their sin. They have been in captivity for 70 plus years by the time we get to where we're at today. And then they are now being called by God out of their bondage, out of their slavery to come back to a place and they have to make a journey to get there. But they, they start this journey, they go on their way and they're going to a place to where they're going to lay the foundation of the temple and they are going to build the temple they are going to make sacrifice to God on the altar of God. They are going to learn the laws of God. And then in Nehemiah, when we get there, we're going to see the last part of this story where they actually have to build the walls because what they find out is that the kingdom of God here on this earth lies in ruins. 
It, it needs protection. It needs, um, it needs walls built around it. And so Nehemiah is burdened by the Lord at the state of the kingdom of God. And so he leads another wave of people in order to come back home and build the walls of the kingdom. But this morning we're in the second wave. The first wave was of returns was Zerubbabel. He led them. He built the temple. The second wave we're into is Ezra. He's leading another wave of people back. And his job is to teach them how to follow the ways of God and how to walk with God. Basically, what you and I are doing in the church today, this is an Old Testament picture of that. And so one of the things that we see is that like, and I didn't give Nathan these scriptures. Could you look some up for me, Nathan? Go to Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2 through 5. I want to show you something that God did when He brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt and He was bringing them through the wilderness, the journey, to the place where they would dwell with Him. And He dwelt with them along the way too, but it's growing as they go. But whenever, right before they go into the promised land, Moses writes this song or this blessing that he speaks over the people of God. And here's what Moses says. The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones or the angels. He's just talking about how God left the heavenly throne to be able to come down and dwell with them on this journey to the promised land as He called them out of Egypt and He's leading them through this time. And then He says He comes with flaming fire at His right hand. And there is just talking about the way that He led them and His power as He brought them out of Egypt into the promised land. He says, yes, He loved His people the ones He called out, the ones that He had chosen. And all of His holy ones were in His hand. So they followed in your steps. So there's the story again. You see the outline, right? They're called out of bondage. They're called out of slavery. They are following the Lord their God. He loves them. They're following His steps. They're receiving direction from Him. And then in verse 4 it says, When Moses commanded us a law as a possession for the assembly of Jacob. That's how they followed Him, by following God's law. Thus, look what happened here. So as God called them out of bondage, as He delivered them and redeemed Him with His mighty hand and His outstretched arm, the result of that was that thus the Lord became their King. When the heads of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. And so here was the plan. The plan was, let's come out of, I'm going to call this people out of Egypt. I'm going to redeem them with a strong hand, with an outstretched arm. I'm going to teach them my ways. I'm going to give them my law. They're going to follow my direction. And as they follow me, I am their king. But then look what happens and find this scripture for me, Nathan. Go with me. Um, Well, yeah, go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 7. 1 Samuel 8 verse 7, because what happened is his people began to take their eyes off of their king and they began to look at all the other nations in the world. And they began to tell the prophet of God, we want a king like all the other nations have a king. We don't want God as our king. And is that not the world's problem today? And so here's what the Lord says to Samuel. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people. In other words, if they don't want me to be their king, go ahead and give them what they want. Let's show them what a kingdom looks like when I'm not king. And it says, Obey the voice of the people in all that they have said to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from what? From being king over them. And so there's the problem with the world. Either we are redeemed by God and we learn His ways and we follow Him by faith or we reject Him as King, we don't want Him as King in our lives and then we see what a world and we experience the world of what it looks like whenever we're King of our own lives or when someone other than God is King of our lives. And so in the, um, the story of David, you remember that story? God raises up a king because He wants to show them just a little glimpse of what a king is going to look like 
that actually is in the image of his kingship. And so God raises up David and David follows God by faith and David leads the people of God and they are a blessed kingdom. But David is only a picture of what God is going to look like as the true king. And ultimately what we see is all throughout the Old Testament story, God continues to show His people glimpses of what He is going to do as a king over His people until ultimately the seed of David, the promised king, comes. And you remember the message of Jesus? When Jesus first comes on the scene, His message that He preached was a very simple message. The very first word out of his mouth was, repent. And you remember what the next part was? Why? Repent, why? For the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is at hand. In other words, the true king is here. God's king is here. The kingdom of God is now being established. It is now being built. The kingdom of heaven is being brought down here to dwell among men and it's going to happen through this king. And that's what all of the Old Testament stories are pointing to in this. And so when we go back to Ezra... What we see in Ezra and Nehemiah are just repetitive stories that point toward what Jesus is going to do in our life. Like I said, Zerubbabel is the first one. He calls a group of people out of their bondage just like you and I are called out of our sin. They begin the journey back to the promised land and then as they go back to the promised land, the first thing they do is build the altar because a sacrifice has to be made to reconcile them to God. The same thing that Jesus does for you and I. And then the next thing that happens is they build the temple because there has to be a place for God to dwell with them in, which is what you and I are doing right now in the church as we are building the temple of God piece by piece and block by block. And then Ezra comes in after the temple is being built and he teaches them how to follow God's law and follow God's ways. Same thing we're doing in the church today. Jesus is leading us and teaching us and He is, he is guiding us to follow God and follow His ways. And then finally the last wave in Nehemiah, they come in and they build the walls for protection and we'll get into that uh, maybe next week if we don't carry this over another week. We, we might get there. But, again, what we're at today is we're at the second wave. And we're looking at the story of Ezra. And remember I said God provides everything needed because how many of you know that when we look at ourselves and we say to ourselves, okay, God has saved me, God has redeemed me, God has called me out of sin and bondage, and yet we're still a sinful mess, right? Yet we still look at ourselves and we fail and we fall and we, uh, we falter along the way. And yet one of the things that he wants us to know is that it's a journey as we, get, get, as we go this way. And one thing that is needed that God provides is a teacher, a guide. And ultimately Jesus is the chief teacher, Jesus is the chief guide. But then He also raises up guides like me and your teachers and other people that can help guide you along the way to learn the law, to be strengthened in your journey as you face enemies and struggles and hurdles along the way. And this is what we're doing in the church. Again, my, my heart as a pastor is that you not just be somebody that just goes to church. That's just the right thing to do. My heart is that you come in here with the, with the understanding that we're building something here. That we are really learning in and of ourselves and we're helping each other to dwell with God in Jesus Christ and with one another. And so we see that God raises up a teacher like Ezra or He raises up a leader like Zerubbabel or He raises up a leader like Nehemiah. But He always raises up a teacher. And that was the first point of this outline. The second point is that God always puts the right government in place. Even when it don't look like the government that's needed for the people of God, but God always knows what He's doing. And sometimes He puts a government in place that blesses the people of God. And sometimes he puts a government in place that disciplines the people of God. 
But either way, whether it's a Nebuchadnezzar or a Cyrus or whether it's a Pharaoh or whether it's a King David, at the end of the day, every government that is in place is sovereignly put there by God Himself for His purpose and it will always be for the good of His people. And that was last week's lesson. Now this week, we get to point number three. And point number three is that God always provides the group of people that is needed to be shepherded, to grow with, to encourage each other, to exhort one another. The truth of the matter is that I don't believe any of you here this morning are here by chance. I really don't. I believe that God stirs up the hearts of people to be in places that that they are. Now, according to the parable of Jesus, Satan also puts a few weeds in there, right? So, there are some weeds among the... There are some tares among... uh, uh, The weeds among the tares or whatever. I'm getting that so wrong. But y'all understand what I'm saying. I can't get it in my head. What am I trying to say? Tares among the wheat. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. I was going to drive me crazy if I didn't get that figured out. But anyway, what you're going to see is that God stirs up group people. Look with me at Ezra chapter 7. I want to back up even though we read from 8. Look with me at Ezra chapter 7 and look at verse 7 and 8 real quick. And then we're going to skip over to verse 13. Ezra chapter 7 says, And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king some of the people of Israel... So some of the people went, but not all the people, right? Everybody don't go to church, but some do. Some of the people went, some of the priests went, some of the Levites, some of the singers, some of the gatekeepers, some of the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem, here's the leader, in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. Now go over with me to verse 13 of Ezra chapter 7. Artaxerxes the king makes a decree here. And he says, And I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel, of their priests or Levites in my kingdom, who freely offers to go up to Jerusalem, may go up with you. Nobody forced you to be here this morning. Nobody forces you, or I I don't think nobody calls you up every Sunday morning and says, Hey, you're getting up to go to church. If you're here this morning, for the most part, you freely decided to get up and come to be in the midst of God's people this morning. But at the same time, what you don't know is that God actually stirs your heart up to freely offer to do this. And this is the way He does it with every group of people. Look with me at Ezra chapter 1 verse 5. And look at the first wave of people of what it says about this first group that went up. Ezra chapter 1 and verse 5. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, every one whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. What am I trying to tell you this morning? I'm thankful that God stirred my heart up to be in the midst of God's people. I'm thankful that I could have just as easily stayed at home. I could have just as easily not uh, been a part of what God is trying to do here because how many of you know that I get down and out too? How many of you know that I struggle with my sin too? You don't think that there are times that I think, Brother, you don't deserve to be up there preaching no sermon. What are you doing? And the devil is always trying to find ways to keep me down. But I thank God that through the stirring of the Holy Spirit, that I made the choice to be able to freely offer to come together with God's people. Now I'm going to talk about the stirring of that here in just a minute and how God stirs our hearts to be able to accomplish His purpose. But first, I want to share with you a few things that you need to know about freely gathering with God's people. First off, there are no Lone Ranger Christians. I know the church is flawed. I know there are people in the church that are hypocrites. There's hypocrites at Walmart. There's hypocrites on the golf course. I have been guilty of uh, playing golf a few times and I didn't like to lie my ball, so I look around and go, 
There are hypocrites on the golf course. There are hypocrites at the river. There are hypocrites. I don't care where you go, there are hypocrites everywhere you go. And the church is such a flawed group of people. But at the end of the day, it's exactly what God designed for it to be. It's important that you understand that God didn't put you in a group of perfect people. If He had of, you would not belong here. But praise God, He puts you in a group of people that are being called out of their bondage, that are being called out of their slavery, and you need one another in order to learn the ways of God, in order to grow in the ways of God. Let me tell you something. The church is God's plan for how you are going to grow in Him, learn His ways, and how you are going to dwell with Him. And there is no plan B. There's not a plan B. And so you have to understand that everything God has put together here is exactly the way He designed for it to be. And He is using it all for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Here's what some of the things the Bible tells us about our need for one another. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25, look what this says. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. In other words, we need to be stirred up, right? We need people in our lives that help us to understand that there are going to be times that you are not walking in the kind of love and good works that Christ has called you to. You ever had those times in your life? And then there needs to be somebody in your life that can help stir you up to say, brother or sister, it's time for you to get back at it. It's time for you to to be involved in this. You need somebody that will invite you to a a Sunday school class. Or you need somebody that will invite you to a small group. Or you need somebody that will ask you to help them in a ministry or a mission that they have. We need to be stirred up to continue in love and good works and to continue to make sure that we are helping each other grow in this temple that the Holy Spirit is growing us in. The next part of this verse tells us that if you're going to do this, you can't do it if you neglect to do what? Meet together. We have to be able to come together. We have to be able to meet together. And I'm not talking about for the purpose of just sitting on these pews. I'm talking about for the purpose of actually being involved in one another's lives. I'm talking about being hurt by one another. I'm talking about being encouraged and lifted up by one another. You know, wouldn't it be something if we never had to practice long-suffering or gentleness and kindness? Wouldn't it be great if we never had to forgive? I'm sorry, that's not the church God put you in. God put you in a church and He said, now you have to put on humility, you have to put on gentleness, you have to put on kindness, you have to bear one another's burdens, you have to help each other. You have to forgive each other. And this is how you know just exactly how mature you're becoming in Jesus Christ. Can I say that without offending anybody this morning? That's the truth. We we learn... We learn just how mature we really are in Christ and how we are becoming more like Him by the kind of gentleness that we have with others, the long-suffering we have with each other, the, the kindness that we show toward one another, the forgiveness that we practice with each other, and the way we truly encourage and help each other by meeting together for the purpose of, look what he says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, Has it ever been your habit to not meet together? It it can get you to be your habit, right? And that's the reason why you need to be stirred up. Because there are no Lone Ranger Christians. You are not growing in Christ without all the failures and the flaws and even the good things of the people that God puts you with. That's the truth. You only grow in your Christ-likeness when you actually have to practice the things that Christ is teaching you to be. And so he says here, we don't have the habit of neglecting to meet together, but instead, what do we need from each other? Encouraging one another. 
Stay in the fight. Keep going toward love and good works. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep ministering. Keep being long-suffering and gentle and kind and, and keep putting on humility and lay your pride to the side. And if you will continue to do these things and encourage each other to do this, the Bible says that we grow in our faith. As each one does its share, growth occurs. And he says, do it even more as you see the day drawing near. And can I tell you something? It don't take a rocket scientist or a biblical scholar to look around the world right now and see the day is closer today than it's ever been. And I know that's true every day, all right? But still, the fact of the matter is, you look around and you tell me that we're not getting closer and closer to the day. Do you really think God is going to let things go on like they are forever? No, He's not. And so we need each other to encourage each other, to exhort one another. That word exhort means to, um, to make an urgent appeal, such as telling the troops to hold the line. And so imagine you've got this battle going on and the enemy is wearing you down to the point that you're watching the line begin to retreat. But then the general or whoever it is steps up on the front line holding the flag and he yells to the troops, Hold the line! And in that exhortation they hear the call to turn back around and to face the enemy head on and to go right into the enemy's territory. And this is the kind of exhortation that we need because many times we get back down in our faith by the things of the world, by our own sin, by our own struggles. And we need somebody that will holler out to us and exhort us, you got to hold the line. you got to hold the line. And this is what we do for one another as we join together, as we encourage and we exhort one another to keep growing in Christ. Don't quit. Listen, nobody wins a 10-lap race by, by being the leader of the first nine laps. You've got to be the leader in all 10 laps. You have to finish the race to win the race. And let me tell you something. If you don't finish this race, what you did was wasted all your time and proved that your faith was never genuine to begin with. You never really believed God. It had been like Noah saying, God, I believe you're going to flood the world. I know you're going to judge this thing and I don't want to be in the middle of that. So I'm trusting you. I'm believing you. And I'm building this ark. But then one week before the flood comes and Noah ain't got but four or five boards to put on the bottom of the boat and he says, oh, what's the use? Is Noah going to be saved? No. Was it because of his works or lack of works? No, it was because he didn't keep believing God. He didn't believe God. And he proved that his faith was not genuine because he did not stay on the path. He did not fight the good fight. He did not finish the race. And that's what we have to do is help each other finish the race. The next thing we see is we need accountability. Look with me at Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. In Galatians 6, 1, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... Now notice, we're talking about brothers here that are caught in transgressions. We're not talking about perfect people, are we? We're talking about people that I have fallen again. Here I am. Lord, here I am. And now I need some help. And here the, the Word of God tells us, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, then you who are spiritual, because Lord willing, every one of us ain't caught up in transgressions at the same time. <laughs> but hopefully there's some spiritual people among us that during that time that we're able to be able to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Why? Because we need to make sure that we understand from one another that I'm not exempt from being caught up in this same thing. And we plead and we encourage each other and we exhort each other and we, and we cry out to each other and we plead with each other about you're not in the fight. If you're caught up in transgression, you're not fighting the fight. If you're caught up in transgression, you're not running the race. You've laid down. And if you don't get back up, you're eventually one day going to prove that you were never really ever planning on finishing the race anyway. 
And so he says here, keep a watch on yourself as you do this. Why? Because you too can be tempted of the same things. But we need this accountability in our life. If you really believe that as a Christian that you are never going to ever get caught up in any transgression ever again, can I lovingly tell you you're an idiot? I don't know if I should have said that or not, but I done said it now, so God forgive me. Guys, we're, we're sinners, saved by the grace of God. And we need one another. And we need the accountability of each other. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. What, is it, what does any of you mean? Somebody define that for me. <laughs> Nobody's exempt, right? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Or in other words, quitting the race. Again, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about proving that you never had it. And so he says here, but instead, what do we need to do to keep an evil, unbelieving heart from taking root and taking control? But exhort one another how often? We need it every day. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is so deceitful. Sin will deceive you. You will, you will find a way to justify your sin in your life. You know this. And I'm telling you right now, we need people in our life when we find ourselves in that place to make sure that somebody is pleading with us, that somebody is doing everything in their power to pull me out of that, to draw me out of that. And so we see here that we need each other. We need exhortation. We need accountability. Let me show you one more scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 and verse 14 of the same chapter. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And then look at verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, as you do this, here's how you do it. You admonish the idol. In other words, the ones that they may not be laid down and they may not be quit, but they're standing still. And there will be times in your Christian life, unless by the grace of God He does some miracle in your life, there will be times that you become idle. And He says we need each other to admonish one another. That word admonish means a serious but gentle correction. And so we need to be admonished. And then we need to encourage the faint-hearted. You know what it means to faint means to lose strength, right? You lose all your strength and you fall out. Well here, there are times in your Christian life that that happens to your heart. And you become so faint-hearted that basically you've just lost strength and you don't even feel like you can keep going. And he says here, that's the very time that people like this need to be encouraged to gain strength, to trust in the Lord for their strength, to not quit during this time. And then he says here that we have a responsibility to help the weak. The ones that they're doing the best they can. They're striving. They're, they're fighting the fight. But man, they're just weak. You remember in the garden where Jesus took His three closest friends with Him? And He came back and He expected them to be praying and watching lest they fall into temptation. And He comes back and He finds them and He says, What? You couldn't watch with me for one hour? And then... He gave the reason behind it right after. He said, the Spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. Now, I don't say that as an excuse or to give us a crutch to, to lean on so that we can go into sin, but I am saying that as a fact, that the flesh is weak. And we need people that will help me during my weekly flesh. And then he says here, and to do what with all of them? Be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. And this is the heart of the church. If we're going to, to be called out of our darkness, out of our bondage, and we're brought into this picture to where we are being led in the ways of God, we're going to need these things in our life. And you can't get them if you neglect to meet together. Right? You can't get them if you're not willing to be involved in others' lives and if you're not willing to let others be involved in your life. 
You can't get this from other people if you are not ministering with one another and you're actually trying to give opportunities. If all we ever do is come in this church and sit in these pews, we sing some songs together and you listen to me preach, you may get a word from God, but the church is not functioning the way that it was designed to function. Not unless you are finding other opportunities outside of this Sunday morning service to be able to do these things in each other's lives. And you can't notice these things. The truth of the matter is, most of you will not know when I'm idle. Most of you will not know when I'm faint-hearted. Most of you will not know when I'm weak. Most of you may not even know when I'm caught in a transgression. But there ought to be some people in my life that know. There ought to be some people in my life that are so involved with me in my life that they can see something's not right. Something's, something's happening here. And we can be there to really encourage and help each other to grow and to walk in the faith. The last verse I give you comes from Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. Listen to what this says. Iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. Now think about this for a minute. How does iron sharpen iron? Does everything go smoothly when iron is sharpening iron? What's happening for iron to sharpen iron? Friction. Friction. Well, if this is the analogy that God gives us to be able to see how one man sharpens another... Can I also tell you that many times God uses friction in your relationships to sharpen one another? And so I say to you this morning, there are no Lone Ranger Christians. God has stirred you up in your heart to be a part of the group that meets together in this church, I do not believe you are here by accident. I believe that you freely offered to come. But I also believe that the reason you're here is because God stirred you up to be a part of what He is doing and growing this body of believers right now. And for whatever reason, God has saw fit that you are needed to be a part here and that the others you need in your life. And I believe that with all of my heart. I don't say that this morning just to say, well, I need all of y'all to come back next week. No, I've told you before, I got a garage down on 5890 Campbellsville Road that if I don't end up with two people left to minister to, I'm going to take those two people back to my garage and I'm going to keep having church. Because the Bible tells me where two or three are gathered... But I do believe that this is where He has sent me and I believe this is the place and I believe that you are the group that has freely offered to come up to sit under the leadership and the teaching of God from His Word, through His Holy Spirit. And I believe that whenever each one is doing their share and we're understanding that we need this exhortation, that we need this encouragement, that we need to be admonished and encouraged and exhorted, we will gather together and we will make this journey together. You know, um, the Bible tells us of two ways that God stirs hearts. The first way God stirs hearts, the Bible tells us that faith comes by what? Hearing. God preaches His Word. When you look back at all of the stories of old, one of the things that you see is that when the people became idle, just like we were talking about the temple. Y'all remember when we were talking about the temple being built? And for about 18 years, I think it was, I think it was 18, don't quote me on that, but they went idle. They didn't do any work on the house of God. And how did God encourage them and exhort them and stir them back up? He sent preachers. He sent people to teach them the Word of God. He sent Haggai. He sent Zechariah. How did He stir up Cyrus to to be willing to give them everything they needed and to freely let them go back. How did He do that? He sent prophets like Daniel. And and, and so we see that God is always using the Word of God to stir up faith. Faith comes by hearing. 
And the more you hear the Word of God and the more you believe the Word of God, the more it stirs you up to get back in the race. So that's one way that God does it. So again, it's important that we come together and we hear the Word of God to be stirred up. But then another thing I want to show you is an interesting story. And this is probably all the time I'm going to have to get because I'm not going to get through this. But look with me if you would this morning at um, Romans chapter 15 verse 30 through 32. Interesting story. The Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Rome. He has a desire to one day be able to go see them and then even go further past them and be able to minister in Spain. Now remember, he's been all over the Middle East and he's been all over Greece And now he's going up to Rome and he wants to go to them, but he knows that he's fixing to have to go back to Jerusalem first. He's bringing an offering back that the church has given for the people that are in famine in Jerusalem. And whenever he gets there, the Holy Spirit has told him that there's trouble awaiting him. And so he wants, as he writes to these Romans, he wants them to do something for him. Look what he says. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to do what? To strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Paul is pleading with this Roman group to please pray for me. And here is what he wants in their prayers. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Remember, he knows... The Holy Spirit has already told him, and you can find all this in the book of Acts if you read the story, but the Holy Spirit has already told him, when you get back to Jerusalem, trouble is waiting on you. Unbelievers are coming for you. And so he asked believers, please strive together in prayers with me on my behalf that God will deliver me from the unbelievers. Now what's it going to take for him to be delivered? It's going to take an act of God and it's going to take God changing some hearts. The next thing, notice what he says, and pray that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Now think about these two prayer requests. First off, God, I need you to change the hearts of unbelievers because they're trying to kill me. I need you to protect me. God, I need you to change the hearts of believers because the believers in Jerusalem are Jews. And where has Paul been coming from in all of his missions? Gentiles. His concern is, are Jews going to accept Gentiles coming into the church? Well, unless God does something, no. Because Jews and Gentiles, they don't jive, baby. And so, we need you to do something, God. And notice what happens. Look in Acts chapter 21, verse 30 and 31. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. And just like the Holy Spirit told him, they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And now if you know the story of Acts, think about what God did to answer the prayers of Paul and the prayers of the Romans that were striving together. God stirred up the Roman government to come and deliver Paul from the hands of Jewish people that were trying to kill him. And he stays in Roman care. Now we would have looked and read at the book of Acts and said... Man, Paul got arrested and Paul wasn't released and they had to carry him all the way to Rome and he was on a shipwreck and uh, I mean, Paul was in a mess. But can I tell you that God answered Paul and the Romans' prayer? And God led the hearts of this Roman government to come and protect Paul. And they protected him until he got to Rome where his prayer was to go to begin with. I don't know about you, but that's pretty significant. Let me show you. Remember what the other prayer was? That his service to the Gentiles would be acceptable to the Jews. Well, look with me at Acts chapter 21, verse 17 through 20. When we came to Jerusalem, what happened? (laughs) And then look at verse 18. 
On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Now normally at this point, when the word Gentiles was mentioned, that would have been the end. We're done. But look what happened. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands were uh, there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And, then, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among, uh, who are among the Gentiles to forsake. And so you can read the rest of it yourself. Here's the point. Through the prayers that Paul asked believers to pray, God stirred up hearts of unbelievers to do His will, and God stirred up hearts of believers to rejoice and praise Him, which normally neither one would have ever happened. What am I saying this morning? You're here this morning. You are part of this group. You are part of this people that God has put together. Not just because you freely offered to come here this morning, but God stirred you up somehow or another to be here. It may have been through the preaching of the Word, or it may have been through the prayers of other people. You know, I thank God. I hear Kirby talk about it all the time. Kirby thanks God that he had a praying grandma. Kirby said he can still remember coming in his late teenage nights and not being the way he should be. I'll just leave it like that. But he said he could still remember his grandma, he hear her down by her bed, calling him out by name, praying for him, praying for his heart. And I thank God today that somewhere somebody was praying for me. I thank God that somewhere through the prayers of somebody that God used that and He stirred me up. And through that stirring, yes, I freely offered to come and be a part of the church. And then as I was a part of this church, I thank God that there were people in that church that would be so patient with me. Oh, I can remember when I started Wells Baptist Church. They should have kicked me out so many times. <laughs> but I'm so thankful for people like my old pastor, Brother Charles Ingram. Most of y'all in here don't even know who he is. But I am who I am today because of people like him. I thank God for people like Fagan and Francis King and, and Ralph and, and Linda Harwell. And I thank God for, for people like Eddie and Shirley Smith. And I thank God for, for so many people that through their, their patience, through their admonishing, I can remember Brother Charles coming out to me after the church was over with talking to me about things like my smoking. And you know, listen, it wasn't even that necessarily that, that those things are always just some great sin in your life. But I thank God that He would just see things in my life that didn't display fruit for the glory of God. I mean, nobody looks at you with a cigarette in your mouth and goes, man, look at the glory of God just exhuming from Him. <laughs> right? And so I thank God that when people would see fruit in my life that didn't just display the glory of God, they would come to me and they would talk to me about it. I thank God for the people that would come to me and, and, and they, would, they, they would just encourage me. And, and I thank God that when I was young and dumb that I had people that were just praying for me and doing all of these things that we needed. And I thank God that in the same way that I wasn't in the first group, like what we're talking about, Zerubbabel had a group. And you know some of these same people that went up in the second group wasn't part of that first group. And then the people you're going to see about in a few weeks that are part of the third group were not part of the first or the second group. And yet I thank God that they were stirred up at the exact time to be in the exact place with the exact leader and the exact people that was needed for them to be led in the ways of God, for them to learn the ways of God, for them to be trained up in the ways of God, and for all of them to grow together and be able to do it together. And so I thank God this morning for a group of people that understand what we're doing here. And it is my prayer that you understand this morning that you are not here by chance. 
It is not just some mistake that God has put me here as your teacher, as the one who tries to guide you in the Word of God. And it is not by chance that, that you are not involved in different ministries or you're doing the things you're doing. And it is my prayer that you would look around you this morning, that you would understand that if you're here, then you have a part to play. And if you are here, there is a service that you can provide. But you cannot provide it if all you do is just think, well, I'm just going to travel and go with the group. No, they understood we all have a part to play in this journey that we're going to take. It's a, it's a dangerous journey. We're going to learn about that next week. It's a dangerous journey. It's a journey full of hurdles. It's, it's a journey full of enemies that we're going to read next week. The literal word it uses is there were ambushes on the way. you got an enemy trying to ambush you and just shut you down along the way. But I thank God that on this journey that we're on, God has put the people in my life that He means for me to be here. And some will make the journey and some won't. But the ones that make it, are the exact ones that God meant to put in your life. And they are the ones that will help you to make sure that you cross the finish line. And let me tell you something. If you ain't running the race right now, I'm probably looking for you. I'm getting more and more serious about this day after day. And we're going to try to figure out how do we help each other make sure that we're not idle. That we're not just out here floating in the world, not, not accomplishing the purpose that God has called us to. And I pray that you would desire that. And I pray that if you are stirred by the Lord, that you would repent, that you would get back in the race, that you would get back into the fight, and that you would find your place in the body of believers to see what is it that God can use me, or where is it that God can use me in this place so that I can help teach people the ways of God, or I can help encourage, or I can help exhort, or I can help admonish, or I can help the faint-hearted, or I can help the weak, or how can I be patient with everybody else in here, but expect that change is going to be made. And let me tell you something. Jesus expects change. Nobody made it to the end of this journey without change in their life. And so I pray that you understand the same things expected of each and every one of us. Alright, if y'all would stand this morning. We're going to close it right there. Let's go one more week on this. How about that? And I do pray that you understand everything that we're talking about in these stories the same is true for each and every one of us in our time. We have been redeemed, we have been called out of bondage, and we are on a journey to learn to dwell with God, to learn to be closer to God, to prepare for the day that we enter His kingdom, and He truly is King over all things. But right now, we live in such a way that we acknowledge that He is King over us. And so I pray that if you don't see that in your life, if you don't see yourself on part of this journey, if you don't see yourself growing in this, I pray today would be the day that you would confess that sin, that you would repent of it, and that you would get on the journey, and that you would find the place where you can help to make sure that we're all in the race and we're all headed to the finish line.